Index investing or passive investing has grown more popular with investors. Even Warren Buffett has the benefits of owning an entire index like the S&P 500 over the long term. An example of an index tracking ETF is BMO's S&P 500 Index ETF. It's the largest ETF in Canada that tracks this well-recognized and popular index. It provides exposure to the returns of the market cap weighted S&P 500 Index at a low cost the management fee of just 0.08%. This broad market ETF makes for an efficient building block in a portfolio, saving you time and effort while mitigating single stock risk. If you're looking for exposure to the largest and most liquid public companies in the United States, this ETF delivers an easy-to-use solution and instant diversification. Commissions and management fees and expenses all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus of the BMO ETFs before investing. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 114. As always, joined by the three amigos. We've got uh, Boomer Keith Dicker here with his Patagucci jacket, Ice Cap Asset Management, Rich Diaz, PMG. What's going on? PGM, PGM, get it straight. PGM, Jesus, man. You guys keep changing the name every week. No, no. Suddenly, no. uh, like, yeah, it's another red flag, eh, for the Looney Hour. Frank's yeah, it's going to be all over that one. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I'm back from London. Oh, sorry. Go Frank. ahead, Keith. Yeah, let's hear your British accent that you had a few no, days. No, I've got no British accent. I did have a s- amazing pint of Guinness in a dark and dingy pub, so I was very happy. That was like the most important thing for me. Uh, Keith, yeah, you're a lost long... guy. Keith? Keith, I didn't hear. <laughs> I, you guys are talking over each other. I'll just let you figure are it you out. A Guinness guy? I don't like Guinness. That's my confession. So on a scale of one to ten. If your uh, Budweiser is a one in my mind, Guinness is a solid ten. That's Ooh, that's the beer. The other yeah. side of that trade, Team Bud. Yeah, Guinness is a uh, it's 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 a proper pint. Is that yeah. good, Rich? It's, yeah. it's great. It's great. Yeah, something something like that. You guys that. are too fancy for me. I have to stop hanging out with you. Hey guys, uh-huh. I just discovered a new podcast that's not the Looney Hour. You know, I, I branch out every now and then. Okay, and, I'm, I, and I bet you it's a lot of people. Uh, you know, they're listening to our show. They're going to say, "Oh yeah, they watch this guy all the time." It's called Outdoor Boys. Have you guys heard of it? No, what's that? It's this uh, American family. They, uh, I think, they're originally from the Virginia area, but they're up in Alaska now. And every every week, this guy goes out in the bush by himself, just. Just living like by himself, like building. Oh, a, I thought that's like a, a broke back a mountain. No cape. Now this this <laughs> stuff is fun. You, but the cool thing is, if you watch it, um, just realize the the video production is one guy by himself. So it's one thing to have the you know the uh, what do you call the stick with your camera you put on it? A selfie selfie stick. Selfie stick. Okay, so he's walking around with that, of course, and. You know, he's pulling a 60-pound sled, backpack, snowshoes, and one trekking pole. But then you'll see these scenes where it's just him, like, walking over, you know, a, a hill, which means he stuck the selfie stick in the snow to set up the scene to film it. 
that he'll do it, then he'll go back and get it again. It's just amazing stuff that he has. But it's a lot of fun. I think a lot of people are uh, they would be aware of it. So, Rich, if you want to broaden your view and give you something else to talk about besides the diffusion index, check out um, the outdoor. Does this guy get boys. chased by like bears and stuff or what? No, no, he's he's pretty good with that stuff. He'll uh, just watch it. You'll see. Housing see bears are after him out there in the woods. <laughs> they could be. They could be. <laughs> well, Let's get on with it, guys. Getting towards the end of the year, 2023, a couple of weeks left, 114 yeah. episodes. And after last week's, uh, it wasn't a debacle. I thought it was snowballing into a debacle at one point where, you know, we had the uh, the, the feelings conversation about, about COP28, I think, mm. and things. I remember when we finished, I was thinking, oh, man, where do we go? But the, uh, boy, a lot of the feedback that I, I've seen and, and had with other people, it, it was a great conversation again. So once again, Steve, Looney Hour, ahead of the time. We'll save the cow farts conversation for later. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll tee it up as usually we do. Um, you know, just to kind of preface things here, guys, we – Looney Hour has dedicated their holiday hour schedule over the next couple of weeks um, that we will continue to do episodes every single week. So we're not going to miss anything during the Christmas and holiday break. So we'll just kind of continue to plug along. Anyways, it's a uh, year end for the for the housing market here. So, you know, everyone's trying to tee things up for what the spring market's going to look like. That's like the next sort of telltale for housing. Uh, but we did get some. Uh, national housing statistics that came out today as of this recording. Keep in mind that I find like a lot of this data is is kind of backwards looking. Like if you think about the home price index, it's kind of this ratio like this. It's this hedonically adjusted uh, index that basically takes, you know, recorded sales, which lag by nature. Um, and so we can see the home price index declined by 1.1% month over month, which, hey, you know, you start annualizing, that's a pretty big decline. Um, of course, most of that coming from um, the GTA. The GTA and Vancouver make up like s- close to 70% of the home price index. So when that index moves, I mean, to be honest, it's mostly reflecting of Vancouver and Toronto. Um, but yeah, home sales continue to remain weak, well below long-term averages. Um, the listings are starting to pull back. What we're seeing is sellers basically pulling inventory off the market. So we kind of had like a bit of a, we had like a little mini surge of like listings where they were kind of running above normal. And, and now they're kind of back, um, falling off again. So long story short, uh, that sort of national housing summary here is there's, there's 4.2 months of inventory on a national basis. That's still below like the long-term average of about five months. So like all in all, it's, it's, Still a housing market that is holding up fairly well. And in, in, when you consider the fact that rates went from literally like 1% to 6 Um, But, you know, we'll see how things shape up. I think the big question now is what's going to happen with, with interest rates. Of course, this has been the discussion on the show for the last number of weeks. The reality is, is most Canadians, once they see rates start getting cut, their mortgage payment starts going down. Um, people buy payments. So I do think it's going to free it up. I'm not saying that there's a bull market on the horizon by any stretch of the nature, but um, that kind of leads us into the data points coming out of the US because ultimately the US drives monetary policy here in Canada. And so Rich, you had US CPI come out this week. What was what was kind of the takeaway there? 
Um, I think it came in right as expected, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so the prior number, so it came out on the 12th. Uh, we recorded this on a Thursday. <laughs> uh, it came out a couple of days ago. Um, and you it stole fell. Keith's line. I did, steal Keith's line. <laughs> I did steal Keith's line. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at it here. So there's headline and core, which we always talk about. Uh, there's month and month and year on year. So the month on month actually rose. So the core month on month rose from 0.2 to 0.3, but that was as expected. And the year on year, um, despite what Joe Biden says, is actually still rising. It's just rising at a slower rate. Uh, you got to love community notes, man. That, that stuff just cracks me up. And so that's uh, sort of fell to 3.1. Um, and then core, which is obviously the thing that we look at, I think is the most important one because it ex excludes food and energy, which can be quite volatile, um, basically was 4.0 sort of again. Um, you know, it's still well above target, as you can see. Um, you can see, and then the other thing, oh, sorry, one more thing is that core services, um, was basically 4%. And I think that that's really important. So a lot of that decline, basically we've seen is the core goods. So it's really the goods that have really come down and we've, right. it's been washed out completely since 2020. The chime in there on my, my usual rant on, on the rents. Is shel yeah. shelters driving still what? Is it like two thirds of CPI like growth? Yeah, it's 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 a lot. Um, I can't so, remember exactly the number. I'll have to get up. Give me a second. Yeah, there was an interesting article in Bloomberg today, actually showing that uh, in Manhattan, for example, I mean, pretty pretty large, significant city, um, they're seeing declining rents for the first time in in many many years again. So declining rents in the residential market, and I, I think that's happening in a lot of fairly large US cities now. So it'll be interesting to sort of see how that, that that's not going to filter through for like quite a while. That's true. But finally, it's just to complicate things even further. The rents are rising in in the secondary cities. So I I, I subscribe to the daily shot. It's really good um, sort of daily I think uh, I saw email. That and they actually had a chart. I don't know where they got that data from. Um, it's, you know, but anyway, I'll, maybe I'll try to dig it up, and we can share it on on uh, on the on the podcast. But um, it was showed that the rents outside of those major cities are starting to rise. So the, I mean, it's listen. The, 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 here are the takeaways. The takeaways are that inflation is still well above target. The drags from goods and a lot of the sort of pandemic stuff that we had to deal with have dissipated. They're still thrust so, so like we know there's still an impulse for higher inflation from things like services and shelter despite the fact that we don't like the way it's calculated um and i think it's really interesting that core is still four percent which is well above target um and you're getting some of the annualized numbers are starting to rise so you know you can do three on three month three month annualized rates um but in general i think it's just more sort of benign data um and it will lead to keith telling us what's going on in the fed and i don't know if keith if you have anything to add on the on that data specifically yeah one thing yeah one thing with the inflation number i, I love how um you know a lot of people say yeah inflation's coming back down you know it's gone from <laughs> seven eight nine percent now down to four and it's not coming down i guess as you guys right. pointed out it's just growing at a slower pace but uh, a lot of people who have an incentive to say it it is coming down you know will you know, certainly tell you that story. But just to be clear, everyone, all those prices, real estate guys. Yeah. <laughs> the price <laughs> of stuff is not coming down. It's maybe it's stabilizing. But like one of the great, uh, great, uh, but one of the data points I'm seeing now that, that comes out, um, it's the it's the actual index for CPI. 
and it's it's the core one. So instead of having just the percentage change, you know, they've uh, created the index number. So the way um, you'll see that on your your screen there, Rich, when you when you pull mm -hmm. it up for that day. But the uh, so the latest point, Rich, for your reference is uh, three twelve. It's about two fifty one. You see that there. Mm -hmm. So yep. the, so the way to read this, you know, back you know before uh, COVID hit, you know, I, you can interpret this as a basket of goods. Right, which can be a lot of different things, but that's about two hundred and sixty-five dollars per basket of goods. Now, that same basket of goods now is about three hundred and twelve bucks, and it's still so increasing. What's three hundred and twelve um, divided by two sixty? <laughs> uh oh, there he goes. It's about twenty yeah, percent. Like, yeah. So there you go. That sounds about right. And, uh, well, no, I don't think it's right at all. I, mean, I don't think it's right at all either. Yeah, I think it's way yeah. more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, think about you know whatever you buy at the grocery store all the time. So uh, wait, twenty percent over how much? How what was the duration of time? Like three COVID? years, roughly. Yeah, like th almost four years now. So the, before COVID, so twenty nineteen. Oh, four years. Yeah, that's, that's but that's good. but that's the challenge though with you know you know trying to calculate. An inflation data point. That's why, like, the absolute number doesn't really matter. Is the direction that it's moving? So, it yeah, it is great that it is no longer increasing as fast as it was before. So the you know the but, you know, that 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 has changed. But you know, we there's no way they're going to be able to resolve to get prices back to where they were four years ago. You know, again, a lot of the decisions made back during COVID, it's just completely tilted the world off its. Uh, access and you know it's still going this way yeah, another interesting thing you know people talk about hey like the central banks have you know they oh, yeah they they fixed inflation they did it they're really good and everything remember they had rates at zero near zero and negative and the end did qe for over a decade and rich how much inflation do they produce i mean zero. there was lots of asset inflation which is why well, i'm really not a big fan of central banks sorry steve go ahead well no that was literally that was like the point i was trying to just about to bring up is like we had inflation was like what what was was it was it Krugman that said it he was like what did he call it he oh, called it he called it something that like in, like inflation sub two percent is like the, the 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 issue of our decade or something oh yeah yeah I, I and it's I, a I good don't point the exact terminology he said but it was like this is a crisis that we're having inflation at like one point eight percent and not two point zero. <laughs> but think about this, because most people, we, we talk about inflation, it's the price of stuff. You know, how much does it cost now to buy, you know, your Big Mac or your, not Budweiser. No one buys Budweiser, but you Guinness. Know, Guinness, Budweiser. Guinness and stuff or chicken fingers, you know, at Loblaws, whatever you're doing. Uh, that's how most people think about inflation. But when they kept, the point is that when they kept rates at zero, near zero, and they did QE, or some people call it money printing and everything, it, it did create the inflation that they were trying to create. Instead, what it did, you know, it created what I think Steve or, or Rich, when you guys said asset inflation, which is really yeah. the price of houses going higher, stock market going higher, uh, antique goods going, like you name it, right? Everything went higher. And that's where you get the wealth gap, you know, taking place. So a lot of people say uh, central banks, you know, they're, they're in the business of making, you know, the wealthy wealthier. That's a perfect example of it. Uh, absolutely. And I don't know what they've resolved now at, at this point, but 
It's a bit what? awkward, isn't it? Hey there. Have you been keeping up with Addy? It's not just your average platform. It's now Canada's largest real estate crowdfunding sensation. I'm a proud member. And let me tell you, it's game changer. I use Addy to invest in top-notch institutional commercial grade real estate, not just in Canada, but in the good old US of A. Get this. Addy has enabled a whopping 38 properties onto the platform. The best part, everyone, yes, everyone from all corners of Canada can now jump in on the action. But that's not all. Real estate investing with Addy opens the door to a world of benefits, passive income, capital appreciation, mortgage pay down. So what are you waiting for? Join the Addy community unlock potential real estate investing head over to addyinvest.ca and use promo code looney hour that's addyinvest.ca promo code looney hour <laughs> that takes us to our next topic of conversation which is did we just get a fed pivot uh you know you had jay powell out yesterday the much anticipated uh speech from him and and so basically what they did is they updated for those that aren't maybe aware, they have these, they put out these dot plots. Um, okay. So basically it's like, where does the Fed forecast where interest rates will be, you know, 12 months, 18 months from now. <clears throat> and based on the dot plots, they're they're expecting three rate cuts next year. So that's that's what the own Fed officials, I don't know how many PhDs they have there, but they got a lot of them. And so they're projecting three. Now the markets, the markets um, are, are projecting or betting on basically six rate cuts next year from the fed. So, but Keith, I think the, the main takeaway from feds Powell's speech there was that I, th I think it was a dovish speech and they updated their dot plus to say, Hey, we actually are now starting to talk and, and, you know, the dialogue is now about, okay, when do we cut? Um, and again, of course, you know, they're sort of projecting three cuts next year, which kind of took markets for a bit of a turn. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So with these things, you have to take it like on the face of it. Like, what did they say? And what are they telling you? And they they clearly, they're calling it the, is it the, a dovish pivot, I think, or the Fed, <laughs> the Fed pivot? Panic, I think that's is the, that a panic pause? I don't think it's a no, panic pause it anymore. No, wasn't a panic I, pause, no. Yeah, the panic pause was everyone, you know, three I mean, or that's four Tiff months Malcolm, ago. Because he knows he's screwed. <laughs> but, the, but yesterday, though, it, it was very clear, you know, the so on the face of it, you know, the Fed is saying, yeah, you know, we're no longer really talking about raising rates. The next discussion is, you know, when do we cut? And we're telling you, hey, maybe we won't cut, but most likely cuts will happen next year. You know when or how much, but we'll assess it when we get there. But they clearly, you know, went from leaning into the wind to now they're going to have the wind, you know, go with them. So there's a couple of things with it, though. And because um, you have to you know, put this whole puzzle together. We won't jump over the other ones yet, but it's always important to consider or know that, you know, the Fed is the center of the monetary universe. And what they do, it, it affects everyone else as well. Um, so, you know, this morning you you had the Europeans and, and also the Brits were out. And I suspect when Canada comes out next as well, and, and same with the Aussies. With the Fed saying, yeah, they're now thinking about cutting, and then with the Europeans and, and the Brits and everyone else saying, uh, yeah, we're so worried. We're not even thinking about cutting yet. That's what the Europeans said this morning. It's effectively, you know, it's very dollar bearish. So the dollar, U.S. dollar comes down really hard. And that's what's been happening over the last 48 hours. But it's a great way for the global economy to reduce stress in the world. So back in 2018, remember that period when the, the Americans were raising rates, 25 basis points every second meeting, you know, and no one else was raising rates. 
So it's one thing if they're doing and everyone else's, it was just the Fed doing it. Funny, it just it just choked the life out of the world. I suspect what's been happening over the last couple of weeks, the Fed, they're getting the calls from the Chinese, from the Japanese, the Europeans, and the Brits, and everyone else saying, hey, man, we need we, we need to fix this right now because we're really starting to experience the stress economically and financially. And meanwhile, the Americans are saying, hey, we're not. You know, we're actually, this is ideal for us. But whereas every other central bank will make a policy decision for the benefit of our own domestic economy, that the Fed also has to do it for the world at the same time. So again, with the Fed sounding, you know, pretty dovish there yesterday, and then everyone this morning saying, "Hey, yeah, we're we're not going to cut at all." Um, again, that's a pretty big difference in in a rate differential, which will bring you know it, it be, the U.S. dollar then becomes less attractive from a a yield perspective relative to everyone. So it was a big, it was it was a really big. Um, policy meeting yesterday combined with what was coming out today. Did you hear that as well, uh, you guys? Well, Rich, yeah, I let you chime in, but I mean, I would imagine it seemed like everybody was pretty shocked. I mean, obviously the the bond market uh, rallied pretty hard there, yields collapsing, so. Yeah, I mean, shocked is is fair, I would say, but also, I mean, a lot of those, you know, you said there's six um, cuts priced in. What that means is sort of the, it's that's based on sort of a futures product or either an option adjusted spread or some other kind of Fed fund futures product or so not option adjusted, an overnight index swap. Sorry. Anyways, my point is, is there's a product and people use that product to bet on what they think is going to happen. And what you mean to say is there's 150 basis points priced in and you divide 150 by 25 and that's how you get six. And so six cuts basically that are priced in. I think a lot of, um, you know, up until a couple of days ago before I left, there was already sort of five cuts priced in. And so really what I think that, so although in some ways you could say, yes, the market was sort of caught off, you know, caught um, caught by surprise because yes, there was obviously a market reaction in risk assets. So financial conditions got easier. And so a lot of long duration assets went up. So tech, you know, I think we're, we're an all time high. And, and I think the Dow Jones, you know, tech's gone up, a lot of the European markets have really gone up when you have like those easier financial conditions. Um, but I think that, you know, to be, I think you could make the case that a lot of this has already been priced in, um, just using that sort of those five cuts versus six cuts. I think it also tells you, I think just stepping back, I think for me, the, the real takeaway from Powell's comments is they're just willing to accept much higher inflation, I think, full stop. I think that that's and whether it's because they need that, you know, nominal higher nominal GDP growth number to deal with, you know, those record um, deficits or they're using that higher inflation or sorry, above target inflation to help alleviate the pressure. Um, offshore, as Keith alluded to, which is in either Japan or in Europe or whatever, I think, or they're just doing that because there's a, still a lot of debt in the system. And one way to, to deal with debt is to inflate it away, which is, again, why we are just so against quantitative eating in the first place. Thank you, Ben Bernanke. But I think that that's ultimately what you know he's saying. And then I think that that's, um, that that's sort of my interpretation. I'm still sort of figuring it out, to be honest. I'm not really exactly sure how I feel about it. But I think in general, when you have core PCE at 3.5, yes, it's falling, but still 3.5 and their target is two. Um, and you have a, the Taylor rule estimates suggesting that your, you know, your sort of neutral, you know, monetary policy rate should be in the sevens or sixes. It tells you that it's actually markets are st it's still relatively easy. 
Um, and I think, and then that's why equity markets are sort of reacting the way they are. Creating visual content is an essential part of what I do, but the creative process hasn't always been easy. Here at the Lunia, we have to create cover art, social media posts, and images for our website. That normally requires an expensive full-time graphic designer. However, that's all been made possible using Canva. Canva for Teams is a design platform that makes it easy for anyone to create stunning content in any format from social media posts to videos, presentations, websites, and marketing materials for our live events. Ever since I found Canva for Teams, it's been easy to collaborate and design with the team, which makes the whole process so much more creative and fun. Using Canva for Teams, Keith, Rich, and I can collaborate on designs, providing seamless feedback and ensuring our brand stays consistent using custom brand kits. Design and collaborate with Canva for Teams. Right now, you can get a free 45-day extended trial when you go to canva.me slash loonyhour. That's canva.me slash loonyhour for a free 45-day extended trial. Canva.me slash loonyhour. Well, I think this kind of brings up the the debate right so like i mean the, the overwhelming consensus is this is a soft landing powell has seemingly pulled off the miraculous soft landing that you know he raised rates he got inflation down it's going to keep coming down he's going to land inflation you know in the mid twos whatever and we're going to have basically no recession and we're just gonna like it's it's like the, the perfect soft landing and so you know the thing that's been surprising is that despite all of this whether that happens or not as it remains to be seen but it's seemingly getting likelier and likelier that like that seems like a more probable outcome however every rate hike is almost typically followed by some sort of financial event right keith i mean we really haven't it's been surprising that to date we haven't had one. You're still kind of wondering like, where is it? Is it just around the corner? And that's going to derail all these soft landing narratives because, you know, you know, we had Silicon Valley bank and you know, what last spring or this spring and, and kind of didn't really create a whole lot of contagion surprisingly. And again, I think everyone's just been waiting for this event to happen and it hasn't happened. Yeah. We also had the UK, uh, guild you know, market. Yeah, yeah, they yeah they felt really bad about that, Rich. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't necessarily uh, disagree. <laughs> like, Keith, Steve, are you still? Steve like, didn't laugh. Steve didn't laugh at that joke. That's this okay. is serious matters right now. Very serious. <laughs> I know. When is but... this financial event coming? What's going on? This is like, how can this guy raise rates? You know, basically five hundred basis points, and nothing is seemingly broken. Yeah, so I think the way it plays out is that it isn't a soft landing. Because let's just go through this scenario. Let's say it is a soft landing. Well, what happens with inflation again? It's going to yeah, reaccelerate. It's probably going to reaccelerate. It's going to go to the moon, like blast off. You know, there there it goes, Alice. You're going straight to the moon. <laughs> and, hey, Steve's back into the game. There you go. I like that one, buddy. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't feel guilty about that joke, but that's okay. Who the hell is Alice? Anyways, carry on. <laughs> You're into it now too. That's good. So, but if we get a soft landing, which means there's no recession, growth is a bit sluggish, is is inflation going to get down from four to three to, to two? It maybe, but you know, likely not because well, well maybe, maybe but maybe temporarily. Maybe, yeah. Like it's it's going to be difficult. Um, but then the central bank is no longer cutting rates by, I think, 125 basis points for the end of 24. I think that's what's marked in there right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So instead, by June, you know, they're 
now all of a sudden they're saying, hey, we're not cutting rates. We might actually, you know, raise rates again. Like it, it turns into a, you know, a bit of an awkward moment. Um, but if we get a recession here, Steve, that that's, you know, that's really the answer to your question and that, you know, something comes flying off this uh, tilter world. Does that make sense? Mm. You know, the saucer, it's flying around pretty fast. Um, and this, so this has never been achieved before. So remember, we're, we're in this monetary experiment now, almost 15 years into it, and people have been lulled asleep, and they think, hey, if, if it's, it's not bad, right? You go to zero and negative in QE, go from zero to five, and then maybe we'll bring it back down to three and a half. And because, and we had all this debt piled on top of it. A lot of people are feeling good right now because we had 48 hours of, you know, a bliss has been pretty good and people buy in the market this afternoon. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're getting a great buy or maybe you're you're the guy buying at the high. It's always better to buy low and sell high, by the way. <laughs> but you would have to expect that, again, the probability of something going a bit funny out there, it it, it continues to creep higher. Nothing has been resolved at this point. Or has there been? What, what's been resolved? Why don't we talk about that next? Well, I mean, I think like, you know, Larry McDonald put out a good tweet here, which, you know, he, the only one that had a worse interest rate forecast a couple of years ago than, than me was the Fed. Um, so the Fed dot plots in June of 2021, uh, the Fed is back in June of 2021 before they started hiking. All the PhDs at the Fed said that Fed funds... Uh, in 2022 would be 0.25%, so no hikes. In June of 20, in 2023, they had it at uh, 0.75. So they 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 figured that rates would be at 0.75% in 2023. And of course, today, the Fed's at five and a half. So, you know, they missed by, what is that? 420, 400, I don't know. So math. 425 basis points. 450 basis points. Just to just to jump in there. Um, so just so people know, the dots um are FOMC members. So people when people when you can look this up online, if you just literally Google dot plots or Fed dot plots, um, and what they do is they um every quarter they have sort of their monetary policy report in the same way that Canada does. And they they present um, their view on the economy, but they also present different views on measures of central tendency with respect to GDP growth wages, inflation, etc. And they ask the 17, I believe, 17 members of the FOMC, which is the Federal Open Market Committee. Um, oper- uh, anyway, whatever. I think, so I think got I got it. that acronym, got right? Anyways, and they and so not all of them are voting members. So I think that they go on a rotation. I think every, either every year or every other year or whatever it is, there's a rotation of voting members. So nine members vote. Um, Obviously, the voting is strong armed by the chairman. That's his sort of privilege. And of course, they would never admit to that. But that's basically what happens. And so those dot plots um, are f- effectively forecasts for, let's say, what they think the terminal rate of, of the Federal Reserve Fed funds rate or the upper bound will be for 2023, 2024, 2025. Sometimes they do a fourth year. That's new. And then sort of the long term projections of what those numbers will be. And as you go further and further out, the dispersion of what they think those that interest rate, that terminal Fed funds rate will be widens. So basically right now, what was really interesting is everyone, every single FOMC member thinks that there's going to be no more raises 
rate hikes. So they're, they're all sort of pegged at this level. And then as you go further and further, those dots sort of spread out. So there's some people who think that, you know, at 2025, it's going to be 2.5% and other ones. So anyway, that, that's just so, because I realize not everybody may not understand what the dot plots are. Sorry, Keith. I wonder what that meeting looks like. Does everyone just get in a room, crush a couple of Budweiser's and throw some darts at the board? It's probably quite boring, I imagine. It's probably um, quite, you know, they probably think they take those jobs very seriously and rightly so. I think it's very, very important. Um, and and you're right, Steve, your point is, is well taken. I think that they've, they've you just got to be careful when you're like, I don't think investing on those dot plots is necessarily a good strategy. I think you're, it, it's, they can be fickle as you've demonstrated. They move around a lot. I also think that they don't, you know, they're also static projections. They don't, incorporate what new information we'll have so keith made the point that if 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 the interest rates are too easy relative to what the market needs then you do get a you know re you know a re-acceleration inflation which you can make the case is it might already be happening depending on what your indicator is and then they'll those dot plots will change in march and again in june etc so you have to be careful about taking too too much stock into those ones it's uh so i've been i participated in a couple of mock Fed meetings before. Cool. Uh, there buds. There are no buds. Guinness. Uh, there are no Steve. buds. There's Guinness. It's uh, you know, is I've gone to uh, anyone familiar with the CFA Institute. They have a uh, an annual. I don't know what you call it. A, a seminar. It's for a week in Chicago at the University of Chicago. You know, where really all that boring. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, a lot of Mark- fun. How dare you? Yeah, yeah. How how dare you? And uh, but you get to go anyway. It it is really good because you get Fed speakers coming in. They actually go through some mock scenarios, and it's it's a lot of like I say, it can be a bit of a boring conversation because there's a lot of data and people giving their thoughts and opinions. But it it's very methodical. It's not just you know, hey, we should do this. Okay, you know, you're the loudest one at the table. You know, it is a lot of research put into it to come up with what we're going to do, whether it's right or wrong. Uh, with these dot plots, the last thing to think about it, and Powell talked about it a few times yesterday during the presser. He said, it doesn't tell you what we are going to do. It just shares with you what each person is is independently thinking on how policy might look a year from now. Right. That that's all of this. So it's good because you want to know what they're thinking and you know what you know how they view. But it's not a consensus view. Uh, I think Steve, you just said you know that the chairman of, of the Fed they always have the big stick. They're the ones who who control it in the end. So Greenspan used to uh, he he would start off the meetings and you know, go, okay, Rich, you're first, then Steve, and you go through everyone else. You explain your view and what should be done, and Greenspan would wait until the end. He would go last and basically saying, well, you're all right or wrong, but <laughs> this is what I think we're going to do, and we're going to do it. Uh, Bernanke did the opposite. He always led each one. He was a tone setter. So he would start off by saying, this is what we're seeing. This is what we're not seeing, and you know, go go that way. So every Fed chair, they have their own style in, in how they do it. Uh, I have no idea what, what Powell is doing. I've been involved in, in the in that kind of a mock with him for a long time. But uh, again, the, the media, they, you know, it, it's very serious. Uh, by the way, the, if anyone was to the presser yesterday, the, the questions were outstanding. I think if there were to say there were 10 questions in total, one was stupid and eight and a half were, 
like really strong, legitimate questions. So it, it was a good meeting yesterday. Other times it's a bit a bit fluffy, like the European but, one today is fluffy. Yeah, I think Keith, to your to your point, it's um, you know, tying this back into, you know, my my world, which is the Canadian real estate market. You know, I look at the Canada five year bond and how much that's moved over the last uh two months. So it's down 120 basis points in two months, which is a pretty wild move for the bond market. And right now you've got yields about 20 basis points higher than where they were in the spring. And if you remember the spring of this year, we had a pretty robust housing market because what happened was you had mortgage rates, you know, your three-year mortgage rate, which was what everyone was taking out, came down to about 4.7. So 4.7 was kind of enough to kind of move the market. Um, today, banks are obviously slower to pass through, but you know, but you can get a you can get a three year today at about five, five six, five seven, and I think that's going to slowly come down over time. But the thing I wanted to sort of emphasize is regarding to that soft landing. So let's just say hypothetically, and I think this is a very realistic possibility. In fact, I would say it's a high probability is that you're going to get mortgage rates, um, in this country in the new year. We'll be back in the fours. But for a lot of Canadian households, like we just had the debt servicing ratio in Canada just hit an all-time high. Um, so having mortgage rates at four to seven or even four and a half isn't going to stave off a lot of difficulties for some of these Canadian households, which is like at the end of the day, Yes, it's down it's from it's went from six point three back down to four and a half. But you have to remember that we went from basically two percent or whatever you want to call it, depending on your when you signed on. You went basically a lot of Canadians are still going to be renewing, you know, from two and a half percent to renewing at four and a half, and that's going to be a substantial jump. When in reality, Rich, your incomes on a inflation adjusted basis really haven't kept pace. Um. So I still think this doesn't stave off that sort of wave of, of insolvencies. And the same thing on the developer side, right? Which is, you know, okay, prime rate, which is what these developers borrow off of, prime rate comes down, let's say, 100 basis points next year. It's still going to be up 400 basis points from two years ago. And so I don't think that staves off a lot of insolvencies in that space. Yeah, you beat me to it, actually, Steve. I couldn't have said it better myself, so I'll just be quiet. No, no, I'm kidding. Um, no, honestly, that was that was exactly right. I think your point about the debt servicing cost, which I think the data came out on the 12th, it hit an all-time high. Again, it's different for different families. I get it. It's also different for what kind of credit you're thinking about, whether it's mortgage debt or credit or consumer credit debt or whatever. But in aggregate, we're at an all-time high. And you're right, we haven't seen, in my view, I think Canada and the US are totally different. And one of the reasons why is back to this 30 year mortgage rate and why I think that, you know, you like, you know, you think about like what will happen, what will transpire over the next, like, let's say 24 months. Well, all these rate hikes that have been priced into the US um, and now they're getting priced out again, you know, that hasn't affected uh, US consumers at all. And this is why I think, you know, as, as much as everyone is cheering themselves for these six or seven rate cuts, you know, if, if U.S. consumers just keep ticking along and have 5% um, wage growth, the mortgage, uh, the labor market is still tight because we know that there's demographic-led labor shortages and you have a re-acceleration in, let's say, energy prices because, you know, Saudi keeps cutting or, 
you know, you have um, your the base and base, base effects come through and you have a reacceleration inflation rates, you know, you have that's totally different than what's happening in Canada, where you have you still haven't had the feed through from these higher interest rates. You're, I think a balance sheet recession, which we've discussed sort of at the Looney Hour Live, um, those when those things start to happen and that when that 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 phenomenon begins, it, it's very, very difficult to 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 stop it. Once people feel like their household is no longer a source of wealth and they retrench, it's very, very difficult in my view. I don't know, Steve, maybe you'll correct me if I'm wrong to sort of change that psychology going from something was a net boost to your wealth to something is now a net drag. And um, and so those debt servicing ratios, I think, are absolutely what Canadians should be thinking about um, and why I'm I'm not as convinced that, you know, risk assets should be, uh, especially in the, in Canada, should be as, as sort of euphoric as they have been, Keith. So what's uh, great now then, like over the last 48 hours, again, for everyone, this, this has been a, a significant move in across all markets over the last 48 hours. And um, maybe that change has been enough. Because remember, like we're just looking at it from a housing market and, you know, mortgage renewal or developers, hey, can they survive and stuff like that. Remember, if, if someone is sitting out there on $10 million, they're looking to invest, and in, I don't mean the market, but in, in a capital project of some kind, you know, whatever it's going to be, if they think they now, just say they can borrow, I say it's 50 basis points lower than it was a year ago, maybe that's enough for them to say, yeah, you know, we're break even at worst now on this project. Do you know what I mean? They're not going to say, yeah, we're actually going to go ahead and do it. And then there is another 10 guys behind them. You know, they see the same thing and then they're they're doing it. I don't mean the money is going to the housing market. Like maybe it's going to a, a technology startup or, you know, anything, right? You, you you name it. Maybe a new oil and gas, new oil discovery maybe because they want to produce more oil. Rich. <laughs> maybe not. I, I won't take the bait. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was trying to. But my point though is that um, – Again, the hope here with monetary policy, all the central banks now that this morning or this afternoon now, they're saying, hey, maybe this is enough of a little push to make investors feel a bit more comfortable or less anxious about doing something. And then maybe, you know, I'm just taking the contrarian view here. Maybe maybe yeah. that is enough to produce this, you know, sort of soft landing. So we have to see if we get carry through here, because, you know, again, it's been a pretty extreme move with, with rates uh, right now. And it, this could all reverse itself or, you know, retrace half of it, you know, by Monday morning uh, as we're going there. So, But it's this is not a bad move today. Like from a, a risk perspective, it, it does help reduce financial stress for a lot mm -hmm. of families and some companies looking to borrow and everything, but it, it is the flow of credit. We have to see if it gets thrown through. I'm like you, Rich. I, th I think this is just a, a euphoria that that's that's been you know reached because of what's happened with with the change in monetary policy. But you like you mentioned the 30 year earlier in the U.S. The 30 year was at one and a quarter percent in 2020. Mm -hmm. Then it shot up to five percent or a bit over five. Uh, now it's back down to four, which is like an, an amazing change you know going from five to four and you know a matter of uh you know a few weeks but um you know maybe that's enough to, to switch things around but it's still a pretty dramatic movement over over four years what are you looking for keith in terms of next moves like you know if you're just listening to this podcast you're an investor trying to get a handle on markets 
Um, is there anything in particular that you're looking for over the next little while here to to see if this thing's got some legs? Do you know what I mean? Like, is this just... Yeah, let's, let's be clear. Yeah, the only legs that have been established right now is, is what you said. It's hope, right? That's that's what it is. Um, you know, for us, uh, I, I'm really interested in what happens with the Canadian GDP data that that's going to be coming out. I think it's next week. We'll get the next monthly print. I'm, I'm not, I don't quite remember. I think it is. Um, but yeah, you want to see growth, whether it's the GDP print or, you know, ISM diffusion index and employment as well. And those are the two key metrics to look at, you know, for Canada. And if if the GDP number is, you know, remember it was pretty negative last for you know for Q3. Uh, if that momentum carries into Q4, then you know it doesn't matter if rates got, you know, 30, 40 basis points cheaper or not. But it, it is the the consumption side, Steve, for us you, what we're looking at. You have to think if you do get like that soft landing starting to filter through which is like hey the data starts coming out right canada gdp or us gdp whatever over the next couple months you have to think that bond yields will start to have to back up again yeah well that's the worry right yeah absolutely so that's the that's the worry with sort of the move we've had right now and you know maybe i've been too negative and so that's something that's a bit of egg on my face um, and the reason I've been sort of negative is because to me, sort of, I'm a more of a fundamental guy than Keith. I think Keith, you know, he's more about flows and sentiment, and, that, and fair enough, he's it's worked very well for him. And for me, the for me, it's always sort of about earnings and what are companies generating more earnings, are margins strong and stable, um, and our sales growth. You know, do you have sales? Do you have earnings? And obviously, the margin is sort of the the, the quotient, right? And so for me, you know, you have this big move has not been met with is basically is not been a function of stronger earnings. All your the earnings are basically flat to down over the last let's say year and most of the fluctuation in your price is a function of your price earnings ratio. So how much are you willing to pay for one turn of earnings? And that has been directly related to the financial conditions. So the lower the tighter your financial conditions, the less value, less willing you're you're willing you are to pay for that next return. And the easier your financial conditions are, the more willing you are to pay for those financial turns, which is why like long duration stocks have done so well. And so that's the that's the worry you have. Unless you have a flow through, as Keith alluded to, from some kind of growth impetus, whether it's in the US or maybe Europe starts to recover because they have less pressure from the energy or something that comes through to lift those earnings to reward people for overpaying. Um, to me, that's like a setup for that's a dangerous setup for next year. The other thing I would just quickly add is that you have a total change in mindset with respect to positioning. So this time last year, everyone was absolutely me, me included, shame on me, but me included, that there was going to be a recession in the US and we were and positioning reflected that. So everybody was out of stocks. Um, now this time you have a total reversal of that and positioning is not stretched necessarily, but if you look at things like the American Association of uh, Independent Investors, that's nearly at the highs. Um, and, but the problem is, is that your earnings revisions ratios. So the analyst expectations for next year are starting to deteriorate. And so you have those two, you have three or four different sort of cross currents of financial conditions, actual easier financial conditions, expectations of them. And then positioning and then growth, which is sort of the missing piece for all this. Because if you don't have some kind of growth to support these valuations, I think you're in trouble next year. The other thing to think about as well is, uh, you know, we're talking like broad view, you know, stuff here. Um, I love anecdotal data, 
you know, I, I love yeah, me too. evidence and stuff. So like this week, I know it's e, uh, E&Y, so Ernst & Young, you know, the big, you know, global accounting services kind of firm. Uh, they announced layoffs, right? So they're doing layoffs with the partners in, in the US. So like, you know, Steve, you're talking about like, you know, what are you looking for next? The economic data is always lagging because you have to wait for it to come out. But you'd want to see instead of companies announcing layoffs, you want to see them announcing at we're hiring. We're opening a new, you know, production plant here in there. And so those are the little, you know, clues, you know, you're you're looking for. I mean, the other thing here, like if you know, if they have the 10 year and 30 year, we use the 30 years as an example here, but like go to go from, you know, five down to four percent uh in the US in such a short period of time, that that's similar in magnitude with what happened with the 10 and 30 year, just as when the pandemic was starting. So from like January of 2020 down into like March or April. Now bring that up because the reason, you know, the tenure fell so much then because it was the end of the economic world. You know, the global economy was going to stop, right? That's what was happening. And, you know, it wasn't considered an awesome time economically and, and, and financially. So now we've had the same move in the yield curve or so long rates, the same thing. And the perception that this is considered to be positive because economic <laughs> growth is something. Do you want to see it, or Rich? Like something? Yeah, of course. I totally it, agree. With you. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't reconcile here, and uh, but that's why it's a great puzzle. You know, economics and, and financial markets. It's it's never a linear line. Like there's always something moving along here. But again, this is such a large, abrupt move uh, across all markets, especially the rate market. The bond markets are now telling us we're going to go into you know a pretty deep recession if you think about it, and Whereas, the stock market's making all time highs. <laughs> yeah, so you know maybe they're they're both a bit wrong. It'll be somewhere in between, but again, something has to you know self correct coming up. So start looking for anecdotal evidence. So when PGM starts tripling their their workforce, and you see things like that. It is PGM, right? Or PMG. We keep getting PGM, it PGM Global. PGM Shame on you guys. PGM. There's a PGM. couple of things that people there's a couple of things that people can just like keep track of sort of um when they're you know doom scrolling on Twitter or whatever. I I like to look at just for in terms of growth. Um you could look at like oil prices are usually sort of an indicator of again, this is you could argue it's lagging. Okay, you know, but it's just something that people can follow along at home. You know, think price of copper. Um, you know, iron ore and steel prices are are usually an indication of um, whether or not people are, you know, investing in new new products and um, new manufacturing or you know, uh, building cars and ships and stuff like that. Doctor copper, we've talked about that. Copper's used in absolutely everything going forward. In my view, there's going to be a structural deficit because of EVs and electrification, but also just because the world needs copper and we haven't been sort of we have not been exploring and and sort of um trying basically to build up the structural supply base that we need and so it's very very sensitive to actual industrial demand and growth and so it's just easy stuff that you can like just google the price of copper and see how that's going and and sort of it should and most of the time give you an indication of how of the sentiment with respect to growth and and what's going on sort of in background yeah, speaking of oil, actually, just to uh, circle back, Rich, on your rant last week, uh, which I think in general seemed to have a lot of good feedback. Um, so we always appreciate, you know, the listeners and 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 you know, honest feedback, right? Is is uh, 
I yeah, think one a... person called Rich a national treasure. <laughs> uh, that person was probably my mother. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. It's such a great. Oh, but yeah, of course. I mean, Canada is obviously doing the. Uh, they're capping basically oil and gas uh, emissions, right? So that's going to be like a cap and trade, as we talked about last week in, in the uh, in the show. But there's a report out today from uh, economist Trevor Tome. I think he's in Alberta, but he's actually very balanced. You know, for example, like, and I, again, I, whether I agree with everything he says or not is, is always up for debate, but I would say he's an incredibly balanced individual. And, you know, he just put out uh, a piece saying that, you know, he, he was kind of against these, uh, this cap and trade, um, basically saying a 10% hit to productivity in the oil and gas extraction sector shrinks Canada's economy by approximately 1.2% which is equivalent to roughly $35 billion a year or nearly $900 per Canadian. So again, a 10% Canadian, hit. Like even babies have to pay $900. <laughs> hit to productivity in the oil and gas sector will hit all Canadians. So, um, you know, keep, keep that in mind when we're trying to contain cow farts and, and capping um, production in, in, our, in our energy sector, Rich. Well, I mean, one thing that I, I forgot to sort of mention is sort of the optimistic view. Um, I think I was maybe too negative in some ways. Um, you know, someone someone tried to correct me on the Drax thing, and I I tweeted to them, and I got that right. I think I made a mistake about it was London Heathrow that claims that it's 100% renewable, not London. So that was my mistake. But the, the real issue, the other issue I think I would just suggest is like, we have a real opportunity I think that's the thing that, you know, it gets lost in all of this. Instead of sort of trying to kill the golden goose, we have an opportunity to really improve the golden goose and give it a nice little home and give it maybe some friends and maybe so we can play hockey for it to entertain it on the weekends. You know, we can make this golden goose comfortable and, and really provide an incredible amount of value. And I don't mean just value in cash. I mean, value is in support our you know, wobbling healthcare industry. And um, we could, you know, do all kinds of really weird and wonderful things with that kind of those resources. Um, and so I think that that's often forgotten. I think that that's something maybe we should, instead of being so negative all the time, maybe offer sort of positive um, reinforcement maybe, but. Well, do you mean, do you mean the golden cow and not the golden <laughs> goose? No, that's a sacred cow, which we're not supposed to worship. Right, especially around Christmas. But then there's the golden goose, I think, is right. Cows okay. are bad. <laughs> what is it? Golden idols in Sodom and Gomorrah? <laughs> I think that's the first Bible reference on lo the Looney Hour ever. <laughs> I'm, having a, I'm having a steak for Christmas Eve. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, well, that's nice. I think we do uh, we do chicken in my house. <laughs> I'm gonna get canceled. Keith? No, we're we're gonna survive, guys. We're we're gonna be we're gonna be you fine. Did you did um yeah we well for Christmas Eve is that what you mean? Yeah, well, did you do Christmas Eve or you just do Christmas? I we do both. Christmas Eve is always uh, sometimes like takeaway or you know a bunch of you know tasting plates, hors d'oeuvres, and things like that. And then Man, Christmas so Day, fancy. it's the full on. Yeah, we're oh, fancy really? out here. Our family does nothing on. Our, our, we're never. We never do anything on Christmas Day. It's ours is always Christmas Eve. I guess because I'm Catholic. I guess I'm technically Catholic, and we're Portuguese. So the Portuguese and the Spanish, I think, they always do it on Christmas Eve. I'm a big Christmas Eve guy. Yeah, 
I do. I mean, I, yeah, I do both, but you know. So when do you open your present? Me? I, we used to, as a morning. kid, I do mid twelve midnight. Midnight. Really? That's, that's that's weird, man. <laughs> what about you, Steve? Like, is it a some some people do uh, Christmas like morning. Christmas Eve? Yeah, same with us as well. Yeah, we have a uh, a lot of fun with it. So, uh, but did you want to? Were you going to mention the Philippines or no? You had that uh, or no? Well, I don't know. I mean, it kind of. Tie- I don't. I think we had enough of a rant from Rich last week. I don't want to get yeah, into this. Yeah, you know, Mr. Gilbo being the worst man in Canada. But um, let's save yeah. it. Let's save it when it, when it, for the next time. Or I mean, anyone can Google it. Let's just put it this way: Is Canada sending five billion dollars uh, or financing five billion dollars of some? green ticketed slush fund to the Philippines. I don't know why they're sending it to the Philippines. Um, even our editor, Jeff, who asked together is a bit confused, but well, uh, your sound your, yeah, your, we lost your sound, Steve. Maybe our editor, Jeff. Anyways there, Jeff, you're welcome for the $5 billion. Fill your boots, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this time, like I love seeing, you know, interesting stories funny stories you know your stories you, you look twice at say wow, what's happening uh one was definitely the one how the world is going to have to try to control cow burps going forward because that's going to change Isn't it the farts it's no both. now it's burps yeah it's, plug both ends it's what? coming out of it's... both ends <laughs> i thought it was yeah. oh in ireland it was definitely the farts but anyway sorry i interrupted you <laughs> but now it's the burps in in canada so okay. um Maybe if you have any farmers on on as listeners, they can tell us how they're going to do that. Um, well, well you'd be happy to know you'd be happy to know that uh, meat consumption, full stop, globally is rising and continues to rise. So, <laughs> eat the bugs, eat the bugs, and then the other one, you know. Uh, so Argentina, they have a new president or prime minister. What do they have? He, well, the nut job. he's a bit of a nut job <laughs> he's been around for weeks now man this is he got news. the chainsaw i know but he had his big um like welcoming speech to the nation you know he did that this week and then uh you know it's kind of you, you have to read us right it's just amazing he's amazing like, oh well yeah. yeah cool stuff you know i don't think you'll have any success truthfully because uh, you have to change the culture and that's really hard to change but the very next day, he well, uh, that same day or the next day, he announced he's going to cut the number of government employees by half. Wow. <laughs> you talk about, you know, being a productive economy. That's that's the first thing you do, you know, things like that. So now here in Canada, like the number of uh, government workers we have relative to the economy, it's been creeping higher and higher. Creeping. And, uh, it's been soaring higher. Rich, has, Rich you have that chart. You put it out like a year ago. I put it out long ago, long ago. Yeah. All this data, by the way, is public. I'm, you know, I'm smart, but I'm no genius. You can go look it up yourself. Anyway, so the, the the guy that, like ties in with this, you know, the uh, the American guy who's running for the leader of the Republican Party, Vivek Ramaswamy, I think his name yeah. is. Well, well pronounced. Hey, thank you. And uh, he's he actually said, yeah, he would cut the number of federal employees in, in half. And of course, everyone is so political down there. Said, "Oh, you're just going to fire everyone who you know who leans democratic." And he said, "No, it's much simpler than that. We just simply look at the last number of your social uh, security number, and if it's if it's even, you stay working. If it's odd, you're gone." 
<laughs> that's amazing. I mean, that's totally nuts. That's nuts, but amazing. Oh, it's very dramatic. But, you know, there, there's a way to do these things. And, like, the response is just jaw-dropping, right? Oh, you can't do that. But anyway. Whether you, you know, like guess... him or dislike him, that guy is good for a few sound bites. He's great for sound bites. <laughs> uh, he's, American he's different. Next year is going to be a really, I mean, we don't, we try not to talk too much about politics um, on this show. We could, if we want to believe it or not, folks, we actually bite our tongues pretty good, but um, next year is going to be really interesting. There's uh, the UK, the U S Canada's going to get hot and heavy. We got There's loads well, of stuff going got, on in Europe. While we're on it last to wrap it up, we do have to quickly mention that Keith, there's going to be a lot of people. And I would tend to agree with that is that, you know, people are going to say, Hey, is, is Powell setting up the dovish pivot here because it's an election year coming up in, in the U.S. and he's getting the little tap on the shoulder? I mean, I don't think we can bypass that and say that's that's a zero probability of why he's. Well, you know, they say don't don't let truth get in the way of good stories sometimes. Uh, that was one of the questions yesterday. And, you know, his response is perfect. He said, hey, listen. You know, we are not political. We are objective and neutral and, and all that stuff. But if they are going to do any cuts, you would imagine they have to be done by the summer because they're not going to yeah. be cutting in the fall going into the election because then it was, you know, it would be deemed to be you know a very political move to do yeah. that. So and and also sort of the timing for Fed cuts is sort of I think is it rich uh, March is supposed to maybe start. And then yeah, well, there's eight meetings, so I think they, I think I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot priced in. I think it's not going to happen, but anyway, we'll see. But March, yes, yeah, it's starting in March, and then definitely in May. So really, they have about three meetings or maybe four to do stuff with, because then you get to that political um, uh, period. So that's a good question, Steve. It's, it's a good observation. There you have it. Well. We'll see you next week. As always, we appreciate everyone's support. And uh, like I said, we'll be here all all holiday season. A little festive cheer for the loony, with the Looney Hour. Probably won't be much to talk about, but we'll just talk about Keith's, uh, Keith's dinner and his, all his Bud Lights that he's sucking back. <laughs> all right. See you next week.